Acts chapter 10. What page, Abby of Gale? I got a different Bible tonight, too. I have got my large print Bible for my young eyes. I'm on page 1,163. What? Ray, you got your new Bible tonight. Same as Abby's page. Very good. So, did you did you look at the Thompson chain? Did you study tonight? Not yet, huh? Okay. Perfect. That's what, that's what happens. It's like getting a power tool, and when you're used to working with a with a hand tool, yeah, very much so. All right. 1425, 1163, you large print, there you go, good man, good man, I I match with one of the Brady's one way or the other, all right, let's pray, Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank tonight, thank you tonight for the, the history and the record of the book of Acts, we thank you, really, we come to chapter 10, Lord, we say thank you for your wonderful uh, plan uh, from the ages. And as it's opened up and revealed that before the foundation of the world, you would send forth Jesus Christ and and you would save uh, the world. I'm very grateful as you reveal that and how you open the door. Lord, teach us tonight to be more and more gracious and loving. Uh, it's more more open to what you want to say to us in our lives. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we, we turn to Acts chapter 10. And, uh, well, let's jump right in here in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God Always. Uh, we come out of 9 and into 10, and the scene in 9 was Peter, uh, if you remember, healing Aeneas, the paralyzed man. He was paralyzed eight, eight years. And then Tabitha, Tabitha Dorcas, uh, well, it's the same name, Greek and, and uh, Hebrew name. She was raised from the dead. She came back to life. And the effect of those two working of miracles outside of Jerusalem Again, along the coast, the effect of that working of those, of that miraculous power of God was that many believed in the Lord. The word of God spread. And that's what was happening in what we would say modern day Israel, uh, the, the valley or the, along the coast, uh, Sharon is that area. And as that is all taking place, we, we see God at work. Now, we're told that this Gentile, right, this man named Cornelius, he's a centurion. Now, one of my friends did a, a really fun Bible study one time, and he says, what if every mention of the centurion in the New Testament was Cornelius? And he tied together all the passages of which the centurions are put in, in the way they're described. And, of course, it becomes very intriguing because we know that there was a centurion who was overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the quote from that centurion was, surely this was the Son of God. And that could be, and, and why it becomes such an exciting thing is you see that, that that centurion and then Cornelius, we only get Corny's name. We don't get everybody else's name. And uh, I don't mean it in a derogatory way, but just, you know, I call Nebuchadnezzar, I call him Nebi. Uh, it, it, it helps us understand this is a real man who, who, who God is at work in his life. And the evidence of whether it would be the time frame that he has spent in, in Israel, and you can study history, Israel was not the outpost you wanted to be in if you served in the army of Rome. They would keep uh, some 6,600 soldiers and they were stationed in Caesarea, and they were there specifically to put up any uprising that would affect Rome 
in, in that part of the world. Now, I've been reading through the book of Daniel, and from Daniel's perspective, the, the vision that he received concerning the kingdoms of the world, how, how it was that there would be, uh, there would be Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and then the Medes and the Persian, representing the Medes and the Persian in the animal of a bear with one side lifted up a bit higher. And then you had Alexander the Great with the Greeks. He was a leopard. And then you had this fourth beast. Again, kingdoms of the world. And this fourth beast was ferocious. And I think sometimes we read our Bibles and we forget exactly how ferocious the Roman Empire and especially their weapon of war, just how ferocious it was. And you can read through Josephus Flavius, again, a great resource. It's available online. You don't have to have it in your pastor's library. You can find it for free on the Internet and create your own pastor's library. And I would start downloading these things when they became available. So I have books that were made available early on that you now have to pay for, but I have them because I just downloaded them when I would find them. And I read through this, Antiquities of the Jews, and especially Wars of the Jews, describing how Rome destroyed the temple. The the accounting of how many Jews they killed as they destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Well, a centurion, as we pick this up, uh, it, it really comes to this place. Herod the Great built Caesarea by the sea, and it's great to go see. I think um, if you've traveled to Israel, that's usually on the docket to get there. And it is it is true to the form of the Roman cities that have been uncovered. And, and let's face it, in Jerusalem, there's not a lot of great Roman ruins because it's been destroyed. But on Caesarea by the sea, the whole hippodrome was was covered up. Uh, by the by, the sand along the Mediterranean Sea. Herod the Great built that, but he he built it in dedication of Caesar. So it's a complete Roman city, and and they have it's the it's the best recreated theater, I believe, in all of Jerusalem. That they have they have the old Roman theater, and it's the same place where the Apostle Paul would have been meeting before Agrippa uh, in Acts chapter twenty six. This is the place where. Cornelius lives. He's stationed there. Uh, it's 32 miles from Joppa. That's where Peter is staying. And, and it's really an amazing uh, place what they've uncovered. And that that garrison was stationed and would put up any uprisings that might turn uh, come in that area of the world. Now, you understand Pontius Pilate a little bit when you get into the history and the trouble that the Jews caused all kinds of trouble for Rome. Of all the places that they went and they required, of all the people they conquered, they, they gave a simple, a simple instruction. Bow the knee to the Caesar. He's, Caesar is Lord is really what the, what the whole process was. And if you didn't bow the knee to Caesar, well then the army usually would bring forth that, that forced obedience. However, in, in what had happened with, with how the, how the Greeks, and then after that, how how Rome really would pressure. The more they would pressure uh, the Jews, the, the less effect it had upon them, because they would threaten to kill the priests, and the priests would 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 stick their necks out and say, "Cut off our heads." That's the that's the trouble that they had in bringing the Jews to say that that Caesar was Lord, to bow the knee to 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 worship a man. And that's the understanding. Why didn't they want to be there? Because it was a place of trouble. So when Pontius Pilate, when you read through the account of, of trying Jesus, and they start saying, you're not a friend of Caesar. Anyone who says there's another king, you're not a friend of Caesar. And that pressure for him. And again, you can look in history. There's not a lot written about Pontius Pilate, but what we do have describes the trouble that he had. So a centurion is one who is battle-tested. A centurion is one who has been in war and survived. And it's a great Bible study to look in Ephesians 6 and, and you, you think of how the gear was given unto a Roman soldier. And they didn't have a lot of gear. The effective working of the gear of the Roman soldier, you know, you, you have the, the, the smaller shield and then you have, they have bigger shields. They had two different sizes of shields. They'd have that Flavius sword, which... A gladius sword, which is about 18 inches. 
That's that's short. That's close combat fighting. And so a centurion is one who rules over a hundred men, and and he got that because he displayed all those characteristics and quality of character of being a fighting man, a survivor, one to lead men, one with courage and who would go into the fight and he would lead a hundred men. Now, we, we, we might just take all that for granted, but we're introduced to this officer where he fits in. This, this Roman legion was 6,000 men, and they were divided into cohorts of 600, and each cohort was made up of six, uh, well, we call it, we'd say uh, six groups of 100 men, therefore a ruler of 100 men. That's how he gets his name, centurion. Now, I love that Bible study that my friend taught that time, and you only get a what if, but I think those are, you, as long as you understand, you're, you're going through the, the word of God like that and say, just put these things together. If Cornelius was the man at the cross, you come to Acts 10 and you're like, this is incredible. If he really was the same man, and he could have been, because you, you do the math, 6,000 men, that's 60 centurions at any time in that, in that legion that was assigned over Israel. Now, certainly the odds are you'd say, well, it's better to say the odds are he wasn't the same man, but it becomes intriguing. This man, we find out, has had an exposure to one God. Rome's pagan as pagan gets. You can study Roman history, and they loved the Greek culture because the Greek culture already had all these things in place where people were already worshiping these 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 gods and goddesses, and they simply Romanized them. I mean, they had king, or the head, excuse me, the head false god, Zeus, under the Greek, under the Greek language and the Greek culture and the Greek false worship. We'd say Greek mythology, if you ever read that. All the Romans did, that's now Jupiter. Same, same god, changed the name, and that's why when Paul goes out in Barnabas, and you'll notice that, that there's a, a bit of that supernatural working of the true work that God was doing was confused with Greek mythology, but with the Roman names as they went forth. So Cornelius is a man who has found, and and he's praying to God, and he feared God. That word devout, where we get our word devotions. You might hear the word pious. You, You look at these things, piety, and all piety is is devoted unto the service of another. So Cornelius is the real deal, and, and you remember, it's also Jesus who interacts with a centurion who says, can you come to my house and heal my servant? Jesus says, I'll come. But as Jesus is on the way, the centurion stops him and says, a wonderful statement, he says, I am a man under authority. I tell this man, I say, go, and he goes and he does it. He says, you don't need to come to my house, Jesus. Speak the word, and my servant will be healed. That's the type of... Uh, of men that these centurion were after the natural order, this this place of, of serving God, fearing God, and it's even affected in his faith that he's giving alms. He sees these practices, and so he's come somewhere in all that experience, introduced to Judaism, he, he believes there is one God. Now that's quite an undertaking for having been brought up in the culture of the Greeks and the Romans. Now we were invited one time over to uh, a house of a of a family who really had come to church because they had an autistic child, and we had a family in church that had an autistic child. And the family in church, the autistic child had peace. That's the only way I can describe that, that they would interact. And he would listen to his mom, and he'd obey his mom. And they saw that, and they're like, we got to come and find out what's going on. So they just arranged, they came to church. So for a time of several months, this this couple from India, and again, if, if they're from India, they're not lower caste. They were higher uh, in the caste system. And they would come, and they would be in church, and they would listen to me go through the Bible. Uh, long, many years ago, but this almost 20 years ago. And as I'd go through the scriptures, you know, I'd just like, are they, do they even care about the Bible? And just praying for him. And, and so I found out his native language and I bought him a Bible in, in his dialect. Now, don't you love technology? I mean, just, you think about years ago, that stuff would have never happened. Now, and, and in conjunction with this, of, of really the opening of the, of the door to the Gentiles. 
at the hands of Cornelius, who, who's already now found out about the living God. And, and so here we have this family in the U.S., and there's families that come over. Don't ever take it for granted. And I ask people, have you heard the gospel? You've been in America now. Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I ask them that question. We went to their house. Uh, they, they made food for us, and the more that we ate, the more they put on our plate. Okay? You think you're going to do your nice Scandinavian or German job of cleaning your plate. Uh, you, if you've ever met my dad, you see how a plate is to be cleaned. You scrape it all together, then you turn your fork over, get every little crumb up. Very good at that. Well, we didn't get forks that night. It was chicken and rice, and you, so you're, we're eating. Really, they eat with their fingers. But as I mean, just so stuffed. And after, and that's what I asked them: Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? They'd been in church. They invited us, and they wanted to know. And we will. And, and I said, "Well, and the, I don't know how it came about." And they really believed that that Jesus was okay as long as he was one of their gods, just one of the. Again, officially in India, over two million gods have been registered with the government of India. So they have a registration program with all their idols. Sometimes it is a tree. Sometimes it's a stone. Sometimes it's whatever it might be, and they'll, they'll worship that. Well, as we, we ate that night, and, and after we, we finally had stuffed ourselves and we figured out to not finish the food on our plate and then we would stop, they proceeded to go to, to show afterward, just sharing them of Jesus Christ and how he's the son of God, and he's the only and it starts to become exclusive, as I shared with them. And then they showed us their gods. And their gods they kept in their cupboard. And yet our God can't be seen. They had little figurines of gods. You open it up, and it's a shrine. And they, they, they burn candles from time to time. And, and they, they must have had well over ten gods in this cabinet. Just little, like, again, what you say in the Bible, household idols. Do you know the hardest part for them, as I would share with them about the true and living God, the Son of God, was coming to this idea that there would be one God. Now you understand this centurion. Cornelius believes there's one God. So he's actually praying to God. He's devoted to God. And his giving, he's giving to the poor. I mean, you, this is a Roman stationed in with the Jews in Israel who doesn't want to be there and yet he's meeting the needs of the people. God's changed his life. He In the ninth hour, again, ninth hour is an hour of prayer. This is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. How many times a day do the Jews pray? Well, they're supposed to pray three times a day. The third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. What did Daniel do when he was told he had to pray to the king and only the king? He didn't change a thing. He went back home and did what he always did. He prays at the third hour of the day. So he, he took a, a morning coffee break at 9 a.m. to pray. He went home at noon, lunch hour, to pray. And he went back in the middle of the afternoon. And he, he'd open his doors towards Jerusalem, get on his knees, and he'd pray. That's how they found him out. That's finally how they brought charges against him under the kingdom of the Medes. Well, all that to get me to this place where I really want to be at, which is this. Cornelius a pagan out of a pagan environment believing in one God. What, what a statement of the faith that has come to him in seeing God. Now, wheel back with me in your heart and your mind. It's like, has not God put into his creation the, the, the knowledge of God? That's what Romans tells us. God has put it into every person that he has made the knowledge of God. Now, you see why reincarnation is such a phony trick of Satan? Because then they say, well, I, I'm just reincarnated from another soul. Years ago. And that's all wrapped up into those that we talked with and shared the gospel with from India. They believed in reincarnation. And we're saying, no, you're created. Each soul is created. And God puts it in you to know him. And it's in creation. And that's the way God did this. And that's the witness. Psalm 19 declares how the Son is the witness of God in, in creation. Romans chapter 1 agrees with that. And so we can see that there will be people in the world who have come to a knowledge and understanding that there must be a creator. If you witness to a Native American in this country, at some given point in time, you are going to get onto this, this phrase, the great spirit, 
who they believe created. Now they have a whole bunch of folklore over how the world was created. And if you're if you're somewhere near the Wind Cave in the Black Hills of South Dakota, that group localized and believed that that the world was created from the wind or the spirit or the breath that came out of this opening in the ground, which would whistle when barometric pressure changed. Or you go to the tower, which we call Devil's Tower, out right on the border between Wyoming and, what is that, Belfouche or wherever that's at out there. And you know what they teach? They teach that that, I mean, that was the place from which God created the world. Now, when you go to the, the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, and what do they teach? They teach almost the same thing, that there was a foundational stone at the, at the Temple Mount, and God created the world from that foundational stone. It's not much different. And so without the Spirit of the living God, without the Word of God, without the testimony of Jesus Christ, without the truth, without this witness, without the gospel, mankind, many have believed just about anything and worshipped just about anything, and that's consistent with the Scripture. I want you to see that this man, Cornelius, as he is praying, he's, he's following the, the instructions and the rules of Judaism. He's praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he gets a vision. Now, I, I like the way this reads. This was not like, I wonder if that was a vision. Was that God? Was that not God? Sometimes, I mean, I had a dream here about 10 days ago. I don't usually remember my dreams, but this in my dream, I dreamed that an elderly Chinese man was teaching me how to say Jesus and pronounce Jesus correctly by the number of wrinkles on his cheeks to get the proper inflection. And then I wake up and like, that was strange. <laughs> and no, he was not actually pronouncing the name of Jesus. Now, as I say that, this is clearly a vision. This is an angel of God. I don't know what you ever see in Scripture, but if an angel of God ever came into your presence, you would have... Almost a similar response. I laughed at my dream when I woke up. I can still hear in my dream because I was interacting with the Chinese man who was teaching me to pronounce it, and his, he get five wrinkles in his in his face. He says, "That's how you pronounce it right." And then the word that he was saying actually it means the physical heart. I'm like, "This is what a, what a dream!" But we find out here that if you would describe Cornelius, Cornelius is a thirsty soul. That couple that we met from India, they weren't interested. See, and again, you're praying, right? You, Someone crosses your path, and, and they might be from another country. They've come here. And if you're befriending somebody from another place, what, what do you try to find in common with them? Do you pal around with them? Or you, having Jesus, believe he's the Son of God, do you start sowing seeds, watering seeds, loving on them with the truth that they could receive Jesus Christ? That couple, they fed us wonderfully chicken and rice. But when it came time to talk about the Lord, they were not interested. They were not hungry. They were not thirsty. They completely brushed off the witness of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as accounting for him as one in all the many gods that were worshipped. Not so with Cornelius. He believes in one God. He's praying to one God. An angel of God comes in and speaks to him. And, and as he observed him, he's afraid. That's the normal response of an angel. So if in your mind you think an angel is Cupid with, you know, a little bow and arrow, and they're cute, and they're, they're like, a grown, you know, like a, a baby that's matured and wearing a diaper, and we call him an angel, and, and that's Cupid, totally wrong perspective. In fact, it was one angel in one night who went out and killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. It's, it's an angel who comes down and chains up Satan, one angel. And here... As the angel is sent forth, he's afraid, and, and, and Cornelius responds, what is it, Lord? This is clear. I woke up after that dream, and I'm trying to figure out, does this, does this even mean anything? When you have a dream and you're learning how to pronounce Jesus in another language and get the proper inflection of how the word's pronounced, I just I pulled up the internet, and I go, how do you say Jesus? Well, you say it, yes, isu. It's like, well, that's, that's not the word I was saying. So I just start working phonetically on the word that I was saying. And it took me like three tries, and I found out the word that I was pronouncing. And when I listened to him, like, 
just by having those five wrinkles in the cheeks, the proper inflection, like that's this word. Without a doubt, I know the word that I was saying. And he was saying, this is how you pronounce Jesus. See, that was not clear for me. I still don't know what God means by it. When we come to Cornelius, clear vision, angel of the Lord has a clear message, sends it forth and says, what is it, Lord? He shows up and, and even, even look at that. He, he just says his name, Cornelius. Now, don't you love that? And, and it took me years to, to like work on that in my relationship with God where I would know the difference between me wishing it was God talking to me to that's the spirit. The angel of the Lord says, what is it? Uh, Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? He says, your prayers and your alms have come up before a memorial to God. So here you have a thirsty soul longing for God, seeking for God, praying to God. Look what, look what our Lord taught us. Ask, seek, knock. He, he simply laid out this truth of getting alone with God in prayer. You want to know God? Get alone and pray to your Father in secret. You want to know what God says? You want to know what he's like? Seek him. And here we have Cornelius seeking him in prayer, and by faith he's giving alms. And 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 really it's, it's a part of that book of remembrance that comes up before the Lord that Malachi 3.16 talks about. Those that talked about the Lord often, a book of remembrance was was brought. Fun Bible studies to look at that, that God has a book of the record of the thoughts of you when you're talking about the Lord. Now, I know all the empty words that we speak concerning politics, concerning economy, governments, things like that. That stuff all flies into the air and goes away. But when we talk about the Lord and we encourage one another in the Lord and we talk about the things that are coming and and what the Lord said and what the Lord's doing, every Bible study, I believe, is in that book of remembrance. So we, we talk about the Lord. Now, not the Bible studies where you're talking empty stuff. You're teaching your children about the Lord that's in that book of remembrance. This is the stuff that the Lord remembers. You know what he forgets? He separates our sin as far as east is from the west. He takes that record. Loves, love keeps no record of wrong. So here, the works of prayers and alms come up as a memorial before God. And, and I believe as we serve God, and I, I think scriptures agree, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We might be able to remember all the horrible stuff we've ever thought and done, even after asking for forgiveness, and then Satan brings it back up, and we could, we could write the record out, oh, my list of stuff. God takes that, and he completely has no record of what we've done. He takes that record of that sin when it's set free, again, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he takes the sin and then the remembrance of it, there's one thing God has chosen to do. He's chosen to forget your sin. And that's what forgiveness is. So what is remembered before God, what's not remembered, and now we actually see God himself responding to one who is seeking after God. You had that eunuch, right, going out in the desert, I don't think she's the eunuch out in the desert, right? You have the eunuch out in the desert who's seeking after God. What does God do? He sends Philip. Here you have Cornelius seeking God in his, in his time alone with God, and he's going to send Peter. The instructions from the angel, go to Joppa, send men to Joppa, send for Simon, and he's at this address. He gets the equivalent of the day. He gets the, the coordinates, to put into his GPS to go find who he's looking for. He says, send for Simon Peter, who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. What do you do? You inquire as you come into Joppa. You inquire with people, who is Simon the Tanner? Can you take me to his house? And they, they, he has the address. Now, when we see this and, and, and see this thing laying out, the angel of the Lord spoke to him. Uh, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Now, I'm going to roll back with you a little bit. Do you know that Cornelius had his whole household seeking God? Him and all his household. You remember the Philippian jailer, right? When he gets saved, he and all his household. Similar type of character of a man who 
as he leads his house, his whole household is seeking God. And I believe that's the same influence of that Philippian jailer. It, it does not mean that you can, you can work on anybody else's salvation, none of that. But by how he's living his life, they're, they're with him. He sends his servants, a devout soldier. His soldiers listen to him. And when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. How long does it take to explain what just happened? I mean, you you work through unbelievable, but yet it happened. Once you work through the, that's that's an amazing thing. Are you sure you, you saw an angel? Undeniably, he says, clearly. Heard his voice. He's standing there. He's talking to me. It's not in my head. What a lot of times we say when we think we heard from God. It's usually like we say something like it's, a, it's an impression or we, we say things like God spoke to my heart. If you ever stop and listen to us talk like that, those that don't know, they're like, what do they mean? And, and sometimes we could even say about ourselves, what do we really mean? And, and what this comes down to, what's Cornelius saying? Angel in the room, I heard him. He said this. How long does it take to explain that to his servants? Five minutes. And he sends them on their way. The next day, they went on, as they went on their journey, 32 miles from Caesarea to Joppa. We hop in a car today. Even in traffic, you can get there. I mean, if, if you had to, like, slow traffic, you can get there probably in a half hour to 45 minutes. For them, they're probably walking at least, right, at least 15 hours probably to get there. And as they do that, again, if you think about that, or probably more than that, isn't it? Because that would be two miles. And, yeah, they could do it less, somewhere between 10 and 15. They get there by noon the next day. Peter, on the other end, went up to the housetop to pray about noon, right? That's the sixth hour. That's also an hour of prayer. Catch this? So angel of the Lord gives answer to Cornelius in prayer, sends him to Peter. They get there about noon the next day, about the sixth hour. Peter, that's an hour of prayer, but it's also noontime to eat. And he's hungry. And he wanted to eat. While they made ready, he fell into a trance. Interesting phrase in the translation. Trance actually is the Greek word ecstasis, where we get our English word ecstasy. So when it's falling into a trance, it's not a hypnotic state. It's not a I'm hungry and I'm falling asleep, not like me yesterday and taking a nap in the middle of the afternoon. right? This is he's wide awake. And he gets a vision from the Lord. And in this context, as he's waiting and he's hungry and he's on the rooftop, flat rooftops. I don't know if any of you have ever walked the walls in Jerusalem. You can, old city, you can climb up and you can walk the ramparts. You can walk half of the city and it's, what is it, all the way around? I think it is four miles all the way around the old city, the way the walls are now. But you go up top and you get a great impression yet today of the flat rooftops that are living spaces. There's a soccer field up there. And like, that's a strange thing. You're in the city of Jerusalem and you would have no idea that these things are up top when you're on street level. As he's up on the rooftop, heaven opens up, an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and a voice came with it. Now You see why I'm talking about my dream tonight. Right? I have a dream that I remembered, and 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 I come to this whole thing, and and, and like I, I I get up and I'm like, what is that? I I'm not one to say the Lord talks to me in dreams. I don't even remember my dreams. When I remember something, I'm like okay, Lord, and especially when you're being led to correctly pronounce the name of Jesus in your dream, I'm like I so I just go to my prayer closet. I start praying, seeking the Lord, looking that up, finding this whole thing. Like, okay, Lord, what are you what are you trying to say to me? I had to figure that out. Peter gets this. He gets the voice. He sees this happening. The voice doesn't seem to match. The voice is, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord. In the Greek, he literally is saying in the way the grammar is, I'll have none of that. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. So now we know that the animals that he's seeing in that creeping things and and, you know, the, the animals that are clearly in that group of animals, they're unclean animals in there. For a Jew, you, he stayed away from them his entire life. 
And as he says that, I'll have none of that. And think of the things that the Lord's trying to prompt us sometimes to do, just to go talk to somebody. And we say things like, I'll have none of that, Lord. Whatever we might argue in our hearts and our minds, and that's one way we can kind of convince ourselves, well, that really wasn't God talking. One of the brothers today came up to me and says, oh, man, I walked right through this yesterday. The Holy Spirit wanted me to, to prepare and teach, the be a sub today for the Sunday school class. I didn't say a word. And he comes up, I would say, 30 seconds before the Bible study is starting and saying he was going to teach the kids. You're like, uh, you should have said something yesterday. And that's the part he said to me. And these are the things that, that are worked out as we hear the Lord. Well, as straightforward as the angel was to Cornelius, Peter's vision needs interpretation. Right, And I know it's a well-taught passage. What have we been doing with all the parables of Jesus and all the visions that you see in the Bible? What are we always doing when we study them? We're trying to interpret what they really mean. Now, don't you love it when a parable is taught and then Jesus says, and gets along with his disciples and explain to them all things. And then you have the sower of the seed and like, and then Jesus explains exactly what it is. I like those parables. The ones that he gives that we don't get the answers to, you're like, what does that really mean? A vision. Have you ever taught the book of Zechariah where you have this scroll, a vision of a scroll flying through the earth? And you're like, how do you teach that passage? And you have this woman called wickedness in a basket, and they put a lid on the basket, and they take it from Jerusalem, and they and they fly it over. Two stork birds fly it over to Babylon, and you're like, how do you explain that? You, you get my point. Peter's vision takes interpretation. Is it the four corners of this great sheet? The corners of the world, north, south, east, west. All the animals are again, rice, Peter, kill, and eat. We know that God's going to open the door to the Gentiles. Hey, when you study Genesis from the beginning, the promise unto Abraham, again, not Abram, because the moment he became Abraham, right, it's because he would be the father of many nations. And that the blessing of God that would come through the promise unto Abraham was for the Gentiles as well. And here you are now watching this all get fulfilled. Is this north, south, east, and west that this word to Peter, rise, kill, and eat? I don't eat unclean. I'm kosher. And I, I don't really like kosher food. The worst steak I've ever had has been a kosher steak in my entire life. Would you, like, would you like mushrooms and peppers on that steak? When you're eating kosher, you say yes to that. You add whatever flavor you can get on the steak. Would you like steak sauce? Yes, I would. Okay, now you get the point. Now, a voice spoke to him a second time. Don't you like this? So God interacts with him, and he says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. That, that's his whole thing. Common and unclean. Uh, the idea, now you'll notice that the, the interaction in this vision this happens three times. When you have something happening three times in, in Scripture, that's the witness. It's repeating. This is God's witness to Peter that he is commanding him really to change his mind about the Gentiles. Now, he doesn't know that. We know it because of what happens. He doesn't know it, but what does come out of this, as God has his attention it's a vision. He's not dreaming. He's not sleeping. He, the presence of God came near. He's in ecstasy. He's astonished. You read Daniel's visions. What happens to Daniel when he gets one of these visions? He says, I'm astonished. He says, I was astonished that I didn't do anything for three days after this vision. That type of stuff. Peter is in amazement. And this witness of this sheet coming down, rise, kill, and eat, goes back up. And he's sitting there, what does this mean? And while he's wondering within himself, that was me last week with that dream, wondering within myself, what a dream is that? He's wondering about this vision. There were those men that had been sent from Cornelius, they arrive. And they make inquiry for Simon's house. And so they're looking for the address. They're, I think when you're traveling out in the country, I, I, I grew up that way, and everybody was row route one or row route two in the small town based off of which direction of town you went from. Then they decided that for 911 purposes, you would roll out this plan to number all these roads. And it, it doesn't, it didn't really help us at first, but we would just talk in numbers. You go, you go six miles north of town and you take a left and then it's a quarter mile and you would learn by distance 
how to conduct yourself. And that's how they, that's how they get to Peter at Simon the Tanner's house. They're before the gate. The vision just got done. Peter's wondering what this means. They call out and ask for Simon Peter. They ask for whether Simon, whose surname Peter was lodging there. Now, I'm just going to pause right there. The angel of the Lord told him that. Go get Simon the Peter, who is at Simon the Tanner's house. They show up, and, and you get their perspective as the servants. Um, we were told that Simon Peter is here. Is he here? And that's how they come. That interaction, Peter thought about the, was thinking about the vision. And then look at that phrase right there. What is that, 19? The Spirit said to him, that phrase, the Spirit said to him. Now, this is intriguing to me because we, we don't know how. But we, we saw Peter, you think of, go all the way back to Ananias and Sapphira. What, what does Peter have? His gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, Ananias, why has Satan tempted you to lie to the Holy Spirit? That's word of knowledge. You, you get these things. Now he hears the Spirit, and the Spirit says to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them. And look at that phrase, doubting nothing. What did God just do? Well, he chose Peter to respond to Cornelius, who was seeking after God. Now, I love the stories of the testimony of the missionaries who listened to what they believed the Spirit of God told them to do, whether it came by vision, whether it came by time of, of waiting upon the Lord, maybe it came in prayer alone with God. One particular couple who God used to open up the door of the gospel into Papua New Guinea. There was others because Papua New Guinea is quite well populated. But this couple, of a, a friend of mine, this was his mission trip. He had picked it up in Idaho when he went there. And every year he went back to the same village for about 10 to 12 years and he would teach Bible classes. And he would teach the Bible. And, and that's what he went back to do. And he handed me a book one time of the group who had been used of by God to open the door for the gospel in that village. And they had their story. And it, it describes how they, when they got there, right, and they, they believed God sent them, and how key people, they were connected to key people who helped them give the people in that village a written language. You forget this part about people groups who are communicating verbally and, and they would they would much the same way describe how they showed up and the people that they found who would be warm to them of what they were doing and they would begin to interact with them and they'd teach them words and, and then they would work out sounds and the very first book of the Bible that they translated into the language that they gave the people, they gave them an alphabet, they gave them, they gave them the whole thing, was the Gospel of Mark. They ended up being able to translate the entire New Testament into the language that they gave the people. And when they found the people, the people were worshiping all kinds of gods. They were worshiping spirits. They would, they would make meals and put the meals in the trees. Now, when you see those dream catchers, it's the same spirit world. So I talked about the natives earlier. And they believed that that dream catcher would protect you from the evil spirits. Well, guess what the Papua New Guinea tribes were doing and putting food? They believed that the spirits of their dead ancestors would come back to them. And if they hadn't treated them well, if they didn't appease them, so their their food was the dream catcher in the tree. Now, maybe the kids ate well. I don't know if they ever got caught sneaking the food out of the tree. Or maybe the monkeys ate well whatever it was that was eating the food. But you catch this. God brought them into contact with people who helped them get a language for the people. And, they, and you know what? There were not many salvations until what happened. They would talk with people. They would do all things. The work of salvation came when the New Testament was printed and distributed in that village. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. What happens in this case, God working all these things, and i got to wrap up here somewhere tonight. Um, Peter gets up and goes with them. The instruction is doubt nothing. And, and isn't that what it comes down to? When you know the Spirit of God has said something to you, at some point in your relationship with God, you've got to make a decision. 
if I believe that to be the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do it. How long would you want to sit in that state and say, well, I think maybe God, and I, I, just, I decided I wasn't going to live that way. And if I believed it was the Spirit of God, I was going to go into it. So I did a lot of goofy things in my life. And that wasn't God. But now when I hear things and then I interact with people and, and then the Holy Spirit gives wisdom or he gives a word. And like I know what the Spirit is saying to people. I, I know I, I've been given gifts of the Spirit that I can interact freely with people. And I will, I will do the same thing with unbelievers. And you can be that bold and, and speak as you share the gospel with them. Peter gets up and goes. That's what it says in 21. Peter went down with the men. To the men, sent by Cornelius, he says, I'm the one you seek. You know what that just did for the men who were sent? What happened for our master Cornelius happened. Just all it takes is that. Peter is there. And as they describe Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, same, same phrase we looked in the beginning, one who fears God. And then this phrase, good reputation among all the nations of the Jews. Divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear the words from you. Now you hear that? They're coming and the Holy Spirit has already said to Peter, go with them, doubt nothing. What are they there for? said, we're told to come and get you. Now it's all in place. He invited them in. They lodged. They, he lodged them. And the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Turns out he took six, double the number of witnesses to make sure that what step he was taking next would be doubly protected. They enter Caesarea the next day. Cornelius was waiting for them. I mean, you see we got at work here in such a dynamic way. Look at Cornelius. He's the one seeking after God. Now, what happened for that couple who went out to Papua New Guinea? They found there were those there who had an awareness, right? Not everybody was worshiping the dead ancestors. They found those that would listen to them and had an awareness uh, is what we believe really right. And so God prepared people. And this is, this is really the thing. God, in, in working and preparing Cornelius as Cornelius sought after God, what's the truth? The Bible says that anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. He's seeking God. What do you find out? He's a Gentile seeking God. And God meets him. He, he bows down at Peter's feet and worships Peter. I, Cornelius is... I, and he, he saw an angel. I mean, he's overwhelmed. God's interacting in his life. He's, he's, encountered, he's encountered the true and living God. And Peter shows up. He just falls down and worships him. Peter says, get up. Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I'm also a man. And from that point forward, now Peter's going to share the gospel. And we'll pick that part up next week. So sufficient for us tonight is to see the working of God, that God as those that have come to know that he is, right? Again, Hebrews eleven six, Believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. How many missionaries got to where they are to go because they were praying and seeking God and God dispatched them to people who were seeking after God because they had come to an awareness of God in creation? And those questions that the atheists, the atheists only have a few questions. They just keep cycling them and working them over. What about the pygmies in Africa is what the question used to be. But it really is, what about the people who've never heard? And you need to know your word. The Bible says that God put it into every man. The knowledge of God is within. That God does not have to right, do anything more than what he's already done and then in creation, he's already put the existence of God into creation. And so anyone that seeks after God, God can d dispatch a church. You look at Great Britain. I believe their rise ultimately to, to where it was said that the sun never set over uh, the United Kingdom. And I believe it had to do with them sending out missionaries. Now, I think that America at a time 
Same situation, the greatness of America. A whole group of people listening, praying, seeking after God, and missionaries were sent all over the world. Now we're very good at exporting wickedness in many ways, shape, and form. You catch this point of God is going to send. Now, I, I love this. Why, what, should we expect anymore that, that young men and women would say, I'm going to listen to God, and whatever I hear from God, I'm going to go there. I'm going to live there. And what do you find when you get there? Well, a lot of times, it's all you get from the Holy Spirit is one little piece. So the angel says, go to this house, get Peter. Peter was told, go with them. That's it. But then when they get there, we're going to watch the Holy Spirit at work. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the working of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts to open the door to the Gentiles. Lord, I thank you that you today still answer that seeking soul, one who has come to know of your existence, and this I believe to be true, Lord, that you will send your servants with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray now, Lord, that our lives will be available, in, and, and even it might be by phone, by, by email. Our communications can get all kinds of places. So I want to be faithful to you to listen to your Holy Spirit and to share the gospel. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So God chose it this way. He did not choose it that the angel would preach the gospel to Cornelius. The angel just connects and God chooses the human instrument. The human instrument shows up and immediately is thrown into this place of temptation like, Peter, you're a great man. right? Can you see Satan circling that environment? What does Peter do immediately? He says he gets Cornelius off the ground and says, hey, oh, no, we don't do that here. Right? Do you remember when they bowed down and they were going to, they brought a bull out of the city. Was it in Derby? And they were going to sacrifice right unto Paul and Barnabas for the miracles that were going on. You can study the history on that. That people group had been predisposed to believe that, that Zeus and Hermes would come and visit their city and that their ancestors had missed a visitation of the gods and they were not going to miss it. Hey, just like I talk about the Holy Spirit at work, Satan's at work. Look how he deceived the people in Papua New Guinea. Look at how many deceiving spirits are out there. And then you see, we need the Holy Spirit. We don't just need education and money, right? That's the answers, right? We, we send money and we educate and we dig wells. And I'm not saying that those things aren't helpful to build the relationship, but what do we really need? Gospel of Jesus Christ power of the Holy Spirit. Because is Satan going to take a day off? He doesn't need a Sabbath rest. Right? He's going to keep lying, deceiving, and a lot of people he doesn't have to do anything with because they're already predisposed to worship whatever they want to worship. But that power of God at work. So I think that's second sermon. God bless you. You're at liberty.